Technology Systems Limited are the leading provider of radiotherapy ancillary equipment in the UK and Ireland. Serving the community for over 22 years, we pride ourselves on exceptional service and quality products. Please take a moment to visit our website, www.osl.uk.com, and take a look at our product line, which include macromedics for patient immobilisation and idea dissymmetry for all your radiotherapy quality assurance needs. We are more than happy to take your questions, so please do get in touch via our website or email inquiry at osl.uk.com and one of our specialist team will be available to assist. Hello everyone and welcome to RadChat, the first therapeutic Red Dog Village Oncology podcast. Welcome to podcast number 51. Uh, this is part A and we've got part B afterwards. My name is Naaman Jorkansen and I'm joined by my fellow host, Joe McNamara. A big thank you to our last guest, Jonathan uh, McNulty, who talked about his amazing career uh, research and also his amazing award. Um, if you haven't had a chance yet, please do go and take a listen. So we're very pleased to introduce our guests for this evening, uh, Natasha Pizarski and Carly Shepard and also Jennifer Hart. They will be discussing uh, return to practice. Uh, so as this is a bumper edition podcast, we have Natasha talking to us first about her career, her role uh, and also the return to practice programme. And then we have the pleasure of talking to Jenny and Kylie uh, about their experiences afterwards. Um, so hi Natasha, nice to see you. Hi, thank you very much for having me on this evening. So could you tell us a bit about your current role uh, and then your career path up to now as well please? Uh, yes of course, so um, I'm a musculoskeletal physiotherapist um, by background and um, since I graduated in 2004 um, I've been um, largely clinical. Uh, did a master's in health sciences uh, a few years after graduating and uh, did my injection training, independent prescribing and uh, progressed to working in an advanced clinical practitioner role and also a team leader role for a large um, teaching hospital and um, in um, 2019 I was uh, really lucky and I got an opportunity to come into Health Education England into the Allied Health Professions team on a secondment and um, at the time the Midlands and East of England regions were combined um, so I was on a secondment within both those regions and to be honest I really really enjoyed it um, so much so that I ended up not wanting to leave and um, sought uh, to see if I could get a role within HEU permanently which um, I have and uh, pleased to say that I'm now the National Programme Manager for Return to Practice for um, Health and Care Profession Council uh, registered returnees. Thank you, sounds very exciting. Um, Just (laughs) as we have quite a lot of listeners from across the world now, um, what is a secondment? How would you explain that to people? Um, Well for me it was um, an opportunity really to um, to tap into um, a different opportunity for my career so um, I've never really done anything in terms of uh, non-clinical role before so it was an opportunity to step out of clinical I suppose and uh, dip my toe into the water of a, of a different um, different opportunity to work for an arm's length body and see support patients but from a different perspective so in terms of like 
um, supporting people to return to practice or uh, perhaps supporting apprenticeships which is what I was doing a lot in the uh, secondment actually so by supporting the development of apprenticeships you're kind of supporting the workforce of tomorrow to then support more patients so it was kind of a different way of influencing patient care I suppose and so secondment is usually an opportunity to dip your toe into the water of a, a different environment to you're currently working in to see if you like it or not and um, perhaps it might give you a springboard to another opportunity which in my case it obviously um, did do which was fantastic. So that sounds really exciting Natasha and a real great opportunity. Um, I know I've had secondments in the past and it's always been really beneficial for me largely just to dip my toe in the water um, within either a role or an organisation and you don't have to necessarily commit to leaving your job and Sometimes it's really beneficial from that perspective. And I definitely developed personally and professionally from all of the secondments I did. Um, so it's really nice to hear about your your secondment and also the fact that that did then lead on to a permanent role. Um, and I know Health Education England um, offer lots of secondments that may be of interest to, to people who are looking to do something maybe outside their normal um, professional role. So can you tell me a little bit about what your role looks like day to day? Um, so as National Programme Manager, I think um, it sounds a bit cheesy, but it's true. Uh, you know, I see the returnees are like my patients in effect. So they're always my priority and I'm always checking in with them and answering queries and supporting them really on a day to day basis on their self-directed return back to the register. And um, every week we welcome new returnees to the programme. Um, you know, we um, look after a database of all our returnees so that we can keep in touch with them and um, update their progress as well. Um, I also spend a lot of time, as you'd expect, um, engaging with stakeholders that support returnees. So, uh, for example, um, most weeks I'll be talking to organisations and helping them to perhaps set up their return to practice offer or um, talking to them about a particular returnee that they're supporting and helping them through uh, the process of that support. Um, I well, spend a lot of time looking for new opportunities to make new connections with other people for the benefit of returnees on the programme. Um, for example, um, we recently did a webinar with AHPs Everywhere um, to look for opportunities to diversify some of our supervised practice placement opportunities because we know that not all returnees want to return clinically and um, it's really important that we provide those opportunities for all returnees regardless of the area that they want to return in. Um, and I think uh, the other thing that we um, always strive to do is develop new resources as well and um, new opportunities to share information and, and communicate better with um, our stakeholders and our returnees. So uh, with that in mind, we're just very close to launching two SharePoint sites actually, which I'm personally really excited about because one of them is for key stakeholders for return to practice. So people like organisations that are supporting our returnees currently um, and it's going to be a platform for sharing of resources like job descriptions or adverts or um, 
return to practice uh, procedures that other organisations are happy to share um, to basically save other organisations some time in um, supporting them setting up their return to practice processes as well. Um, we're also hoping on the returnee SharePoint site, which will be the other site, to have a list of um, return to practice leads within all the organisations and the hope um, with that list will be that returnees can go on there and say right I really want to return to practice in Cambridge for example who are the return to practice leads in that area and okay it's so and so and I can go and contact them directly just so that we really improve the efficiency of the um, process of connecting the organisation with the returnee. Um, what else do I do? I'm uh, just thinking, so I work on an awful lot of projects to improve the programme. So we've got a, a coaching pilot for returnees that we're um, currently uh, running as well, which I'm really passionate about, um, improving pastoral support for our returnees. Um, and, you know, generally I get emails most weeks um, from returnees telling me that they've returned to the register um, and often they've got a job lined up and that gives me a real buzz because it's wonderful to have connected with that returnee at the start of their journey and then um, be able to you know have supported them through that process with whatever they've needed and then at the end see them you know back into uh, the workforce um, you know being valued for the contribution and all those years of practice that they're bringing back with them um, so um, yeah and I, I think if I can just share some data with you um, you know we've supported since the program oh yes absolutely we love data here at Rad Chat you've got the floor go for it you love a bit of data well I've got plenty of that for you <laughs> well um, so since the program began we've actually supported uh, 745 returnees back to the register um, which um, you know I'm obviously uh, thrilled about and uh, 25 of those are therapeutic radiographers as well so um, but we're always Oh yeah, but we're always hungry for more, Joe. Always hungry for more. So um, we, we're currently supporting 21 on the uh, programme at the moment, um, supporting them to return, uh, which is fantastic. But, you know, like I say, we're always keen for more. So if anybody's listening and, uh, you know, wants to get in touch, then please do, because we're, we're really ready to support you. So. Yay! Yay for all the therapeutic radiographers. Uh, yeah, so um, I think, so obviously the Health Education England Return to Practice programme that I lead is, um, you know, it's not mandatory for people returning to practice to be part of the programme. So I think it's really important to uh, start by, um, you know, explaining that, um, that you can return without the support of the programme if you wish to. It's just that, you know, we're here offering a programme of support to help you on that self-directed return back to the register. Um, but generally speaking, um, if you're looking to return to the HCPC register, the amount of time um, that you're required to do to update your knowledge and skills to apply to go back on the register increases the longer that you've been out of practice. So if you've been out up to two years um, out of practice, then you don't need to do any updating. You can just apply to go back on the HCPC register. But once you've been out, um, between um, 
two to five years, then there's a minimum of 30 days of updating, and then over five years, it's uh, 60 days of updating. Um, and I think the important thing to know is that uh, returnees have 24 months to collate their evidence to apply to return to the register. It used to be 12 months, but it was changed to 24 um, due to COVID and the HCPC haven't changed it back to 12 um, at the moment, so it stands at 24 months. Um, and I think the key thing for me is for returnees to think about how they want to uh, do their returning um, days. So the HCPC say that you can use formal study, you can use supervised practice, and you can use private study to evidence your days of updating. And the main stipulation by the HCPC is that no more than 50% can be private um, study, but you could do all formal study or all uh, supervised practice, for example, if you wanted to. Um, so I hope that helps just as a bit of a, a starting point for anybody wondering about returning to practice. And, and if you are thinking about it and you do want support from our programme, obviously if you check out our website you'll see what our eligibility criteria is on there as well and, um, and, and can apply for that support You know, if that's something that you're looking for. Thank you. Yeah, it's really good advice. Well, really good information. Sorry, just understanding it all, and especially the difference between private study, supervised study. I think that's good for people to understand what what's required of them in a way. Um, it's definitely something I didn't know. But what sort of challenges might um, there be for people trying to return to practice? So, yeah. So I think I think what really impresses me about returnees is you know, how motivated and driven they are to return because, you know, most of us are grappling with, with lots of challenges and, uh, you know, demands on our time. And I think, you know, for a lot of our returnees, they're juggling perhaps another uh, paid job whilst also trying to return to practice and perhaps with other or family commitments as well. And, you know, it's, it's not always uh, easy for them, I think, but actually with support and I think peer support from the Facebook group that we have and the financial support we offer on the programme, things like that, I think that can really help to, um, to support them along uh, their journey to meet some of those um, challenges that they may have. Um, and I think that that's what we really try and do on the programme is really offer as much support as we can. And sometimes it's just sometimes being a sounding board to people as to you know how they think they might want to go about return to practice but they just want to talk to somebody to think about how um how their return journey might look as well i think and uh, you know a few years ago i think where or even a couple of years ago probably where where we were with return to practice was that you know not everybody really knew about return to practice and um a lot of organizations may not have had the infrastructure in place to uh, support a returnee but um I think we've been really lucky actually on the return to practice program in the last 12 months because there's been an awful lot of investment in a return to practice program thanks to the Health Education England AHP program actually they have um, they've put quite a lot of money into uh, the system into NHS organizations across England uh, for return to practice and that's really seen a lot of infrastructure being set up within organizations and um, 
galvanised an awful lot of energy and enthusiasm around return to practice and we've really reaped the benefits of that in terms of our returnees on the programme um, to, the extent, to the extent rather that we've seen an increase in our conversion rate from uh, those inquiring to starting on the programme which has gone up by 10% and those starting on the programme to completing the rate's gone up by 11% so I think that's just within the space of the last 12 months and I think we'll continue to see um, real growth in the numbers of returnees thanks to uh, this real investment that we've had in setting up this infrastructure so I think that's been a real positive over the last 12 months and really removed some of those challenges that were there before for returnees and I think one of the um, the biggest challenges now is try. You know, we've got organisations that are so enthusiastic and so willing to support a returnee, but we can't always find a returnee that's looking at that time to match them with uh, that particular organisation. And um, that's partly why the SharePoint I think is going to be really helpful because it will um, provide that direct contact into the organisation for the returnee, so it'll just smooth that process as well. So. Um, that, that you know it's it's very straightforward for the organization and for the returnee going forward i think as well oh really great to hear the success of the return to practice program and supporting those who may never have returned necessarily to the profession without it and um, we'll definitely share all the information alongside the episode of the podcast i really love the ethos of the website as i i appreciate it, it can be a bit of a barrier maybe matching the clinical placement to the returnee um to be honest it sounds like a professional dating website maybe you should go down that route of essentially advertising (laughs) for a professional dating website let's link you with a clinical placement and maybe find you the future husband of your dreams um you might get lots of people returning to practice well do you know what we were calling it the return to practice dating app but then we thought oh maybe that's not the best thing to uh you know to say but um basically yeah for once anywhere it essentially is a dating app but unfortunately it's not as glamorous as that and it is an excel spreadsheet on a sharepoint site but you know does the same job (laughs) can you tell us about the options for people who may be considering returning to the profession and what can people actually do oh i think i think the thing is is that um you know the thing they're not just you know qualified professionals that okay aren't on the register yet but they they have that uh, professional qualification but they've also been doing other things while they've been out of practice so they bring back a wealth of life experience or transferable skills back with them um, when they do return to practice and I think that's um, really apparent when you speak to returnees and hopefully when um, you know you talk to um, the returnees uh, a bit later on on this podcast you will see the vast experience that they they come back to practice with and I think uh, for organizations it's a really quick win um, to bring back that experience in a very short space of time back into your workforce Um, you know uh, returners have an average of nine years experience when they leave and ultimately they can be returned as quickly as 30 to 60 days which is quite incredible really Um, and I think supporting a returnee um, you know can help to reduce your recruitment and agency costs and increase your bank capacity and um, it really is a win-win for organizations and the returnee and um, I think the other thing is on the back of there's um, been a lot of work I know done around students and clinical placements and things and I think 
it's to think about what can we do to support returnees, not what can't we do. So maybe looking at different um, opportunities for different sort of returnee supervised practice models as well. So because supervision can be done virtually, for example, so it doesn't have to be that, um, you know, if there's not you know, capacity within the clinic space and things like that, that, that there are virtual opportunities to return as well. And it's thinking about perhaps um, simulated clinical practice opportunities. And so that, that it's really looking at, like I was saying before, about diversification of those opportunities as well, whether that be in clinical or education, um, you know, leadership or, or research really, and, and looking at what is possible um, to support returnees within your organisation and just to say to any organisations listening that HEE does um, fund eligible organisations to support a returnee um, to cover some of their expenses. We, um, we offer £500 towards some of those expenses that the uh, organisation will have um, and we have got a return to practice a quick guide which talks organisations through the steps for supporting a returnee to try and remove some of those um, issues or, or barriers to getting started for organisations as well because like I said we've had a lot of investment in uh, AHPs in the NHS um, this year but um, you know there are other areas which AHPs work in as well and we're also looking after on the programme some non-AHPs which um, perhaps haven't had the benefit of some of this investment so we need to support those organisations uh, perhaps a little more and so that quick guide can be really useful um, for them as well. What we do have is a myth-busting document as well um, which might be really helpful to share um, with listeners just around what you know what you can and can't um, sort of do in terms of supervised practice placements and that might be really useful. Um, we've got a return to practice leaflet out as well and lots of resources on our um, website to support um, organisations with looking at recruiting returnees. I have to say I love your passion about this it's as you said the quick win it's, it's probably something I never would have considered just thinking people you know stop working or stop working clinically for all sorts of different reasons whether it's life or they just had enough I know through Covid I've seen quite a few of my friends, colleagues from all across just leave and they've said, well, actually, if I can come back in the future, I might. It's just right now I can't. I know I've met a few people at a conference recently um, who work in industry, but they're coming up to the three years of where the HCPC is going to end. If they want to keep in touch and potentially come back into the field in a few years, how do they maintain that HCPC registration? Is it about just like a keeping in touch day or...? So, so they're, they've gone out of clinical practice, but they're, they want to maintain their registration. I mean, obviously, to maintain your registration, you have to meet the standards of proficiency. So if you're not working clinically, you have to be able to demonstrate an evidence that you're maintaining that in, in another way, don't you? So whether that be through um, another line of work that you're doing or something. But um, if you basically want to return to practice at some stage my advice would be to you know contact the program really but the other thing to do would be before your registration lapses to go back into clinical practice and um, 
have some practice experience because you've got to have some within the last two years to maintain your registration or some some evidence rather haven't you so if your if your evidence is clinical then you need to have that um, clinical evidence So Natasha, at the end of all of our podcasts, we ask for top tips and you've given quite a few as we've kind of discussed, but what would you say to anyone considering returning to practice? Uh, Well, first of all, I would say that um, my absolute dream would be that, you know, when people enter the profession, that if life ever does take them away from it, that they know there is a programme of support here at HEE to um, support them on their return to practice back to uh, the register and ultimately back into our workforce. And we desperately need you. So please do consider returning. If you are thinking about it, please do get in touch with us on the programme, even just for an informal chat. And hopefully we can answer some of your questions and hopefully um, help you to make that first step to return to practice but if you're just sort of thinking about it and you're not sure you can submit an inquiry via our website um, and then we will send you a, a survey to find out a little bit more information and we do send you out a welcome email for the program with lots of information on lots of support but you can email us um, on the program if you don't want to sort of submit an inquiry just to you know ask a few questions we do get a lot of people just emailing us you know most weeks just to make an initial inquiry and dip their toe in the water to see if it's the right time for them and we're happy to pick up the phone and have a chat with you Um, for those that are thinking of starting and and want to think about how they would even think about returning my advice would be to go onto the HCPC website because um, they have the standards of proficiency there for your profession so you can look at um, what evidence you need to um, collate and what you evidence you will need to submit um, to the HCPC to be um, accepted back onto their register. So that's a really good starting point when you're thinking about perhaps where some of your learning needs may be. Um, so that that can be quite useful. Um, obviously, if you're registered on the program, I can't tell you how fantastic the Facebook group is for peer support. Um, so many of our returnees get so much benefit from being on the Facebook group and what I love about it is when people have returned to the register they stay on and support people that are returning and going through the process and it's a really lovely peer supportive community so there's lots of helpful hints and tips on there as well so my advice would be it can feel daunting when you've been out of practice for some time but it's never too late to return. We've had people return to practice after I think 24 years, so please never think it's too late to return. There will always be other people going through the same um, the same return journey or a similar same journey to you, so please don't let that put you off. And um, what I would say to healthcare professionals looking to support returnees or organisations is, you know, we're really, um, wanting to to nurture these returnees and 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 really look at what pastoral support we can uh, offer them to retain them within our workforce so um do try and be as flexible as you can be and consider what pastoral support you can offer them to make them feel welcome and part of the department again um and look at what you can do in terms of you know some of our returnees can't afford to return unless they're on a paid route and um, others are in a slightly different position and want to have an honorary uh, contract or or a voluntary uh, contract route so um, it's just looking at 
perhaps looking at the individual and seeing how you can be as flexible as you can be to support them back into the workforce. Um, so I think that was my uh, long top tips. Oh, the other thing I, I would say as well is a bit what I was saying before, you know, it's really important that our, um, I think returnees also think, oh, they've got to return to the area they left practicing, but they don't. They could return and work in a completely different area if they want to. So, you know, if they've worked clinically before, but decide they want to change tack and go into education, we can support them with that as well. So if anybody's listening and they think, you know, I'd love to get back into my profession, but I don't want to do clinical again, you know, get in touch with us and we'll, we'll support you with that or vice versa. If you've been in education and you want to go into clinical, it's something we can work with you on the program to support you with that was perfect i don't think it was too long there's a really important point so i think people need to know i thought it was brilliant <laughs> thank you so much yeah and i think it's, it's just so important that we we recognize that returnees have so much to offer and we really you know value their contribution and we really encourage them to return because we we really want you back in the workforce basically <laughs> Oh, thank you so much. And yeah, thank you to everyone for listening. Um, and we'll have two people who've been through the program um, on in a few minutes as part of the next part of this episode. So yeah, thanks very much. See you in a sec. So I'm delighted now to be able to welcome Kylie Shepherd and Jennifer Hart. Welcome both of you. So um, shall we start by asking Kylie, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your career pathway to date? Yeah, thank you very much for inviting me on today. So my name is Kylie Shepherd. I'm a therapeutic radiographer. I qualified many moons ago in 1991. Um, and I worked until 2016 when I took a just under five year break. During that time, I worked on the floor on a LINAC as a band five and six. Then I got um, an information and support job as a band seven role. Um, that was a secondment. So when that was over, I came back to Tomo, I think it was actually. Um, spent several years as band seven floor radiographer, then went into pre-treat, loved CT, dosimetry not quite for me. Um, it was at this point that I took my break, like I say, for about four years. Um, then my return to practice, I did all bar two days clinically. Um, that was where I felt. I needed to really refresh my skills. Um, so I was lucky enough to get a clinical placement in Colchester. Did that three days a week, working flexibly. They'd had um, two, if not three, return to practice therapeutic radiographers before me. So they had a really great um, system in place there. I had like somebody that I worked with each day. Um, and now I work in clinical trials um, in the radiotherapy team, but not actually in radiotherapy, we're actually based in the Cambridge Clinical Trial Centre. So that's in a nutshell how I got to where I am now. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that. What an amazing career pathway you've had. Um, and I know Quoting Carrie Biddle, um, it's definitely squiggly. Um, <laughs> so it's amazing to hear all of the things that you've done within the profession. So Jenny, your turn. Please can you tell us a bit about yourself? Yes, hello there. Um, so my name's Jenny. I um, live up in the northeast in Hartlepool and I completed my BSc in occupational therapy um, at Teesside and I graduated in 2011. Um, 
this is my squiggly, to use that word again, my squiggly career um, and unintentionally so really. Um, I've had various roles since qualifying. I didn't go straight into practice um, because when I was doing my placements, um, I definitely favoured working in physical environments. So hospital based, um, helping people to get home and social services. Um, making sure that once people are home, they're safe, they've got the equipment they need and um, and the resources they need to be safe in their own homes. Um, so at the time of qualifying, there were no jobs in those areas at all. So I went a little bit sidestepping and went into education, um, worked as a teaching assistant and then as a student teacher. That ended not in the best way um actually being the teacher training made me quite ill so i took a step back reevaluated, and opened my own business in 2014. so i own a board game shop which started out as a cafe but covid saw to that um so we are my husband and i run um, a board game shop in hartlepool um and alongside the shop we have a focus of working with families and children and young people with autism um, and those with mental health problems as well. Um, so we use tabletop gaming to build community, foster friendships and facilitate the development of physical, social and cognitive skills. Um, we are focusing um, our projects on allevi alleviating loneliness at the moment and rebuilding community post COVID. And also um, working in the summer holidays, or well, the school holidays in general, with children and young people to develop their confidence in maths and literacy skills. So this obviously uses a lot of my OT skills um, in another environment completely. Um, and it builds on my love of board games, which have many, many uses, not least of which it's a, just a fun way to spend time with people. Um, alongside that, as if that's not enough, um, I work as an assistive technology support officer. So our team installs and monitors telecare equipment and responds to emergency call outs. Um, and actually it was this role and my previous one working in adult social care in Middlesbrough um, as an assessor that really, I guess, made me start thinking about returning to practice as an OT. Um, and I was working and still do work alongside OTs quite a lot. Um, and I miss that. Um, I miss that side of life, you know, keeping people independent, helping them to stay safe in their own homes. So last summer, um, after doing a bit of training, um, sort of lockdown courses, you know, like everyone did, <laughs> um, I started my return to practice journey. So I'm about a third of the way through. Um, and I've obviously I've got up to next August to complete my journey. So. Wow. Again. That was that's amazing um thank you for opening up about your mental health side of things i think it's something at the moment we're getting better at talking about but it it does have a real effect on everything you do but also i think when you have that experience of it you appreciate it more when you help other people i suppose that's probably something that's helping you with what you do now as well um yeah i think so um i think there's a there's um a, a definite push still i mean mental health is much more talked about now than it ever has been um, but still it's not it's not sort of normal to talk about it like you would talk about a broken arm um, so it yeah. is 
I think being able to sort of positively discuss mental health and the fact that actually you can continue and you can get through things and um, you know you can use things positively is a, is a good thing so exactly it's probably a podcast um, in itself to be fair it <laughs> definitely is um, I think we've said this before quite a few times here um, you talked about return to practice Jenny um, how did you find it how did you found out, find out about it and were there sort of any challenges for you as well um, so yeah, I found out about return to practice um, through the Royal College of Occupational Therapists website. Um, it's actually got quite a good section on. Not all the um, professional bodies have got um, sections on returning to practice, although I know that they are developing them if they haven't. Um, but the the ARCOT one has um, a brilliant section on uh, both for returners and. Um, for organizations as well on how to support returners but i use some of the tools on the website um to to help me identify my needs because at, at the beginning i was just like well what on earth do i need to do where do i start it seems like a massive area um, and getting your head around the fact that actually yes you're a qualified professional all you're doing is updating your skills to be able to get back on that register um and to, to take yourself out of the student mentality is quite can be quite tricky I think um, I mean, perhaps not for people who've been in practice before they finish but obviously because I didn't go into practice as an OT it's a little bit of possibly imposter syndrome I don't know but that's that's you know being dealt with now <laughs> um, so the there are quite a lot of resources on the ARCOT website helping you to identify your needs um, and where you're looking at updating um, and there's also information about the HCP um, and links to the HCPC website where the standards of proficiency are. Um, so I I found it really helpful to join ARCOT because all that information is available without being a member. Um, it's not sort of held behind a paywall, which is really useful and really important, I think. Um, but I decided that actually as part of my return journey, joining ARCOT means that I have an access to that wealth of resources. So all the journal articles and things. Um, as well as being able to access training um, and joining regional groups as well. Not that I've done much with the regional group. I don't think it's particularly active, but um, yeah, it's still there as an option. Um, I mean, in terms of difficulties, apart from um, that feeling of, oh my goodness, there's me and there's this big long journey. Because <laughs> 60 days actually, it's quite a lot. Um, it feels like a bit of a mountain. Um, but I struggled because of the, the way my job works and it's shift based. Um, I struggled to pin down a clinical placement because I think clinical developing my clinical skills is probably where I felt I needed the most updating. Um, more just to build my confidence than anything else. I've, I've know from um, trusted. I did trusted assessor training programs which have helped to improve my confidence. So I know I can assess and I do some of that in my role anyway. So I'm using part of my job, my current job to help with my updating as well. Um, but things like the updating, you know, legislation, care act and things, that's all changed since I qualified. So um, a lot of that side of things, I guess is private study, but um, 
I'm still hoping to find a clinical placement. Um, probably looking at, at staying in Hartlepool to do it because that would make most sense with my job. Um, but yes, um, I have been very fortunate in that I've done a leadership placement with HEE. So I've actually been working with Natasha quite closely over the past few months. Um, and I've helped to develop that SharePoint platform that she was talking about earlier, or, or the, the SharePoint platforms. So um, that in itself has been really useful because obviously as I've been update, as I've been adding things to the platform, I've been reading things and, and you know, developing my own knowledge that way as well. Um, and that leadership placement has been brilliant in um, tackling the kind of loneliness aspect. Um, there, there were sort of six, five or six of us on the, the court on their program. So having that peer support has been absolutely brilliant. Kylie, you'll know that obviously radiotherapy is quite a small world compared to maybe other professions. How did you actually find out about the return to practice program and then indeed get a placement? I think, um, as you touched on earlier, radiotherapy is such a small world. So I think if anybody knows something, you're, you're bound to, to, to hear about it. So I think what can sometimes be a disadvantage for us in, in this circumstance was actually an advantage. So what a small world it is. The girl that I started my senior two job, as it was, in I think it was 1996, actually worked in Colchester and had done her return to practice there a few years before me. So I knew that she had done it. Um, I got in touch with the head of department and said, do you think you could bear to do it again? If so, will you, will you have me? Um, obviously, COVID got in the way, so it was delayed a little bit. And they very kindly did manage to, to squeeze me. And like I say, I had 30 days to do. Um, and most of them I did clinically. So I think it was word of mouth. And actually, the advantage I had was that I knew the head of the department, so I could actually phone her up and say, will, will you have me? And I think speaking to other people, this is a problem sometimes people have, that they, they don't know who to approach. Their emails get um, stuck, they get lost. So my definite advice would be, even if you don't know the person, phone the department you know put yourself out there and actually say this is who I am and I think um might have been Natasha mentioned it earlier we're not students we're not going to be there we don't demand hours of your time um and, and we do have things to offer so that's how I got there really I just picked up the phone and was lucky enough that that they would have me they obviously didn't think I was too awful and and let me come back so <laughs> I'd imagine having a returnee with a wealth of knowledge and experience like yours is actually a huge bonus to a department or organisation. Can I ask, what made you leave the profession um, in the first place and what did you do during your time away? So the, the reason I left, I think, is like a lot of people. It, it's, it's hard, I think, being in oncology constantly. It, it is difficult. And unfortunately, my father and my mother-in-law were, were both diagnosed with cancer. Um, there'd been a lot going on and I, I felt it was a time for me to to take a step back and to reevaluate what it was that I wanted to do moving forward so I went to work in a women's centre and I worked with women who had never worked so looking at CVs looking at confidence issues then I went to work in Waitrose I worked in the meat and fish counter that was fantastic then I went to John Lewis 
uh, looking at setting up a bra fitting service for women post-surgery during radiotherapy. That didn't come to fruition as quickly as I'd hoped. So I was like, that's it, let's go. I've got all of these skills. And I think so many of us in radiotherapy underestimate what we what we do and what skills we do have. And, you know, my husband had always said to me, do this, try that. And I thought, right, I'm going to return to practice. I miss being a therapeutic radiographer. It's very much part of, of who I am. Um, but what am I going to do once I am back on the register? And I think, again, mindset is quite often we we judge ourselves by our ability of how many patients a day we treat, how 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 we're running in and out of a, a LINAC. And, you know, I loved that, but I needed something different. I'd moved on from that. And lots of my friends now that have never left practice, they wouldn't necessarily be, be treating 40 patients a day on a LINAC. You know, they have, like yourself, Naaman, have, have gone into specialist roles. Um, so I knew that it was time for me to, to look at what else I wanted to do. So I had a bank job in a urology role which didn't last very long, but was very interesting. And then I actually got a band six job in the COVID vaccination process, uh, not process, what's the word, programme. Um, it was fantastic. Absolutely loved it. Um, I met so many different people from so many different professions. But I was the only therapeutic radiographer. And I think by the end of my time there, they were all fed up about hearing about what we did. You know, people would come in for their vaccine and they're like, talking about cancer, talking about surgery, and we just learned so much from each other. And it sort of, I think, sparked something in me thinking, you know, the whole COVID vaccine is illuminates to everybody what research is about, what it does. And rather than being something theoretical, it's something that we could see, something that we were part of. And jobs that perhaps myself, I would have thought before, weren't for therapeutic radiographers. It might have been for nurses. It might have been for junior doctors. I thought, well, I, I can do that. And I think something sparked in myself and belief in myself. And I think having left and returned to practice, my belief in what I could do and that I could do something slightly different, but still underneath the umbrella of therapeutic radiography, was just so exciting. And <laughs> we were saying about Natasha earlier and her, this is how excited she is about return to practice. This is how I actually feel about therapeutic radiography. I think that we don't advocate enough for ourselves, but we're just beginning to do that. I hope that wasn't too long. <laughs> no, that was perfect. That's the, that's the passion in you. And I think what you've talked about, basically just being brave and just, you know, diving in in the deep end and trying different things. I think when you're, maybe at the early stages of your career you're always worried as exactly as you said you want to do everything right keep going do that thing that you know you're supposed to do but you don't really know until you try something different that actually there's actually a whole other world of within a certain profession anyway there's so many options you know opportunities available to every allied health professional that you can do that probably people don't realize they can but i think you really showed that so no it wasn't too long it was good thank you Jennifer, how have you found returning to practice? Um, I think so far, um, obviously, being part of the um, the Facebook group and um, led me to the HEE leadership placement, which was um, absolutely fantastic. Um, 
it gave me opportunities to do um, some coaching, um, which has then led to, I know it's led to HE doing a further coaching pilot, um, which they're just getting up and running now, I believe. Um, I think for me, it's also boosted my confidence. Um, obviously, I'm not all the way through the journey yet. Um, so, you know, I'm still still en route, as it were. Um, and it's just given me an opportunity to look at OT from like OT roles as in the traditional ones, but also um, I've been looking more at, at alternative roles and, um, you know, non-traditional roles. I think we can still um, be, well, I can still be an OT, obviously you're therapeutic radiographers, but um, I can still be an OT, embody the, um, the, the core principles of OT, but not necessarily do um, a nine-to-five, you know, traditional role. Um, so I think that's been really um, enlightening um, whilst I've been on the journey because I hadn't really considered that option before. I think, again, it's about showcasing or what opportunities come up, don't they? Um, Jenny, exactly as you said, that you can still embody that kind of passion and drive for that profession that you love so much already and take it into all aspects of your life. Um, what sort of advice would you give to anyone um, who might be thinking about returning to practice for, you know, if they've been out for however long, um, what would you say? Um, I would say be brave. Um, trust your instincts and your abilities. Um, for whatever reason that you've had, that you've taken time out of the profession, whether that's just been to recharge batteries or, you know, to raise a family. Um, remember all the skills that you've used day in and day out. Um, if you've been raising a family, um, time management, you will, <laughs> um, you know, I spend half my life running children here, there and everywhere. Um, negotiation, we've all been there with a child who won't take no for an answer. And, you know, especially in the middle of the supermarket <laughs> um, where you're desperately trying to avoid a situation. Um, prioritising creativity, dynamic assessments, the list of skills is endless. So never doubt your abilities. Um, I would say if you do take the plunge in return, um, join the Facebook group. Um, you'll get an invite, I think, from Natasha anyway, and I would really use that as a resource. It's a nice informal way to um, to get to know other people and and to see. I think because people stay in the group when they've when they're back on the register, it's a really good way to to see that there is an end to the journey, um, and um, it's a good way to share information, learn about placement and employment opportunities. Um, Natasha and the team at HE will send um, information through about placements as they arise um, and, and job opportunities and things that would help be helpful for returners. Um, and just remember that there's a huge range of opportunities available. Some um, Sometimes the non-traditional roles um, and clinical and non-clinical that are worth exploring. So you may have a definite idea of where you want to end up when you've finished your return to practice journey and actually you may not have a clue at all um, but there are just so many opportunities available that um, 
perhaps don't worry so much about where you're going to end up um, just get started on the journey. Kylie, what do you think the barriers are to people commencing the return to practice programme and what advice would you give to anyone considering it? I think that the hardest bit is starting. Like anything, we overthink it. And on the Facebook group, people are often saying, oh, you know, how much do I need to write? Do I need to write, you know, four pages for every interaction I've had? And I think that really illustrates how much we overthink and how much we think we need to actually prove every single thing we do. But once, I mean, for me, as soon as I stepped back into a clinic, as soon as I started setting a patient up, as soon as I started talking to them, it, it came flooding back. It is like riding a bike. And those core things that the care that you want to provide, the professionalism, they don't change. And you still have those. If you found your way back to return to practice, you still have those. You still want to help people. You still want to make their journey, I mean, in therapeutic radiography, through their cancer journey, better. So you're there, really, and, and the rest will fall, fall into place. Again, be brave, exactly as Jenny said, be brave, but believe in yourself. I think that that's what you've got to do. You've got to advocate for yourself because some people will think you're there to clean the bed. And yes, of course, part of everybody's role is doing jobs like that. But you do need to advocate for yourself and take things out, get what you need. Obviously, always give more than you take, but you have to be able to ultimately sign your name on that piece of paper and say, I do feel competent. So you, you have to find a way of doing that without irritating too many people. <laughs> and people are so kind. They really are so kind. And we want each other to succeed. So I just think it is a matter of, of making sure that you do confidently walk away from your placement whatever that looks like whether it's clinical and actually feel confident when you walk into your your first job whenever that may be and again touching on what Jenny said the Facebook group is amazing you know a couple of other people that have started their journey after I'd finished mine you know I've emailed them I've sent them little things that um, I found helpful links and people did that for me I think like I joined Twitter for purely for my return to practice I you know I I haven't been on there and um HCE do a lot on the return um I'm ready to return um hashtag and free courses again the society of radiographers are really good you can join them um free while you're doing your return to practice they have a lot of um free information and courses HCPC um just reach out ask because people are happy to help and I'm happy to help any therapeutic radiographer that's interested if they want to uh, hear, hear from me. I'm always happy to talk to anybody, basically. Oh, that's so amazing, Kylie. I do hope, though, that you don't get hundreds and hundreds of emails. Um, but, yeah, that's an amazing offer to help support future therapeutic radiographers returning to practice. Um, I'm in awe of both of you, too. Oh, I feel like you and Joe would get on very well talking all, all night. <laughs> But yeah, thank you so much, both of you, for the kind of advice. I think Jenny saying about the time management skills, using that with the children, I think that was a really nice way to put it. Um, and yeah, Kylie, thank you for the, the passion that you're showing about what you what you love doing, helping cancer patients. Um, but yeah, thank you everyone for listening to Rad Chat. Um, so your hosts today have been uh, Naomi Jokansin and Joe McNamara. Um, so a huge thank you to all three of our guests today, so Natasha, 
uh, Jenny and Kylie. Um, if you're utilising this podcast for CPD purposes, um, please consider the reflective questions posted along with all the links um, to resources and literature. And we'll make sure we link the Facebook group as well so you can get involved. Uh, to receive your accredited CPD certificate, please complete the Google form linked with the podcast. So our next guest to feature will be Charlie Wardle, who will be discussing his experience of proton beam therapy for head and neck cancer. Thank you for listening and take care.